This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So we're going to put that scripture I read from John chapter 20 up on screen for consideration as we talk. Tell you a quick story that some of you may have heard me tell before because it's one of my favorites, but while we're doing that. Um, so a Baptist pastor went to visit his friend who was a Catholic priest at the Catholic church one day. <clears throat> and when he came into the church, the priest was in the middle of hearing confessions from his parishioners. And so the Baptist pastor said, well, never mind, I'll come back later. He said, no, come on in. It's, they only pop in once in a while. So if somebody comes in, we'll just pause, but it's fine. So they start talking and somebody comes into the confessional booth and he says, give me a second. So the uh, person in the booth says, Father, forgive me if I've committed three sins. And the, the priest says, well, say 10 Hail Marys and put a dollar in the box on your way out and don't sin anymore. So that happens. So they go on talking a little bit and somebody else comes in the confessional booth and says, Father, forgive me for I've committed three sins. He says, well, say 10 Hail Marys and put a dollar in the box on your way out and try not to sin anymore. So they go on talking a few more minutes and the same thing happens again. Father, forgive me, I've committed three sins. He says, all right, say 10 Hail Marys, put a dollar in the box on your way out the door, try not to sin anymore. So they go on talking, and then somebody comes running in from outside yelling for the priest to come. Says somebody's been hit by a bus out here on the street, and they're dying, and they want a priest to come and pronounce last rites. So he looks at his Baptist pastor friend and says, i got to go take care of that. You take over here here for me. And the Baptist guy's like, I can't do that. I don't know how to, you know, that's not my deal. I don't know how to do that. And he said, it's easy. Just do what I've been doing. So um, he sits there nervous and just hoping nobody comes in. But sure enough, somebody comes in the booth and says, Father, forgive me for I've committed one sin. So he's like, oh, I hadn't heard that one before. I don't know what to do with that. He thought about it a minute and he said, well, I'll tell you what, go out and commit two more because today they're going three for a dollar. <laughs> well, it's a good story for what I want to talk to you about because, see, I, I was thinking this week that I think one of the problems with why some people are hesitant about jumping into the kingdom way and following Jesus Christ is because they're pre presented with too many options. They're given too many choices. I googled and asked Google, how many Christian denominations are there in the world? I was expecting maybe 2,500. That's a lot, right? Google tells me that there are some 34,000 different Christian denominations. We're not talking about other religions outside of Christianity. We're just talking about Christian denominations around the world. 
34,000. That's what I mean, sort of, when I say that sometimes we may feel like we're presented with too many options. What am I supposed to do? You're telling me that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that in order to get to the Father, I have to come through Him. But then coming through Him looks so different depending on where I am and who I'm with. Because these people are telling me that coming through Him to find God looks like this. It looks like... Ten Hail Marys and a dollar in the box. And these folks over here are telling me that coming to God through Him looks like a 14 or 15 word sinner's prayer that I repeat after somebody. And these folks here are telling me that coming to God through Him Looks like following a list of rules and regulations, two lists really, one list of things that you have to do for God to be pleased with you and to accept you, and another list of things that you cannot do if you expect God to love you and accept you and be pleased with you. And these folks over here are telling me that it's all about baptism. And these folks over here are telling me it's all about spiritual gifts. And these folks are telling me that you have to attend church on Saturdays or you're going to hell. And these folks are telling me that you can go to church any day of the week that you want to and you're guaranteed heaven no matter where you go and what you do. And on and on and on and on. I was raised in the Church of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination. Just inside the framework of Pentecostalism, there are dozens and dozens of denominations. And then you have what they call the nominal denominations, the fundamental denominations. And you could start naming them right now and we'd be here all day long and not exhaust the list of denominations. So we have so many options to get to God through Jesus Christ. My, how we've muddied the waters. My, how we've taken the simple gospel and turned it into a complex and complicated spider web that we have to try to navigate and negotiate and figure out and, and, and overcome this and bypass that and go through this and go over that and come under this. And it just, it's just so, so confusing. So many options. So many walls we've built. So many barriers have been created. So many pits have been dug that we are suspect to fall in if we're not careful because we start listening to someone's version of the gospel instead of just paying attention to the true gospel as it's presented by the Lord of the gospel himself. And it's a very simple gospel. 
And so we talked in previous two or three weeks from John chapter 12, John chapter 11, about a couple of different groups, about some options that existed for people during the days that Jesus lived on the earth. There were, there were always options, and there are still options, and there are always going to be options, but I hope by the end of our next few minutes together, we're going to land on the truth, and that is that we can wipe out all options. We can push everything aside, and when all the fog has been cleared out, there's going to be one option, one person standing in front of us saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just grab hold of me and follow where I'm going. Just, just listen to me and do what I'm telling you. All this other stuff is just fluff and the enemy uses it to distract, to throw us off base to inhibit our progress, to cause us to stumble, to delay the, the things, the gifts, the promises that God has given to us. So during Jesus' day, we talked about <clears throat> the Greeks. So just to touch on prior to the Greeks, you had the Persians. And the Persians ruled over the Jews because it seems like somebody was always ruling over the Jews. And the reason somebody was always ruling over the Jews is because the Jews lived in cycles of obedience and disobedience. So when they're living in cycles of obedience, God blesses them, He delivers them, He sets them free, and they're able to live their lives as a free nation, worshiping and following after the Lord their God. Then they move into a cycle of disobedience. And what happens? The father takes down his wall of protection and all of a sudden somebody else comes in from somewhere else and conquers them and starts to rule over them. So you had the Persians ruling over the Jews prior to the Greeks, but the Persians were benevolent toward the Jews. They're like, yes, we're in power. Don't mistake that, but we're going to let you live your life. We're going to let you maintain your culture. We're going to let you do your thing. Well, then the Greeks under Alexander the Great, 300 years before Jesus arrived, conquered the Persians, and so then they become the ruling power over the Jews. Well, the Greeks had an, a secondary agenda, or maybe it's the primary agenda. They not only wanted to rule militarily over the known world, but they wanted to transform everybody into their lifestyle. They wanted everybody to become Greek. What does it mean to be Greek? I guess you could say in a sentence, what it means to be Greek is to just be absolutely in love with yourself. And let me tell you something, every time you hear preachers these days, pastors telling you how much you ought to love yourself, you ought to, you ought to scream, you Greek, and run the other direction. Should we love ourselves? Sure, we should value ourselves. But I'll tell you, when we raise ourselves up, 
as the most important entity in our lives and we exalt us as a God above the one true God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble then. And that's what they wanted people to do. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. You're beautiful. You're strong. You're intelligent. You're talented. You're athletic. You can do anything. And see, the Greeks had all these gods. But the gods were not there to be worshipped as any sort of a true god. The gods were there to rule over certain aspects of life. And the gods were there to serve the people rather than the people being there to serve a god. And the Greeks were not satisfied to just come in and conquer a country with their army, they wanted the people who lived in that country to become like them. Well, not too long before Jesus arrived, the Greeks had been conquered by the Romans. I, ho I hope y'all can see and sort of visualize and understand all the symbolism involved in this, all the spiritual insight and wisdom and lessons that God can teach us out of it. The enemy is always bringing something new and somebody new and some new idea and some new concept and some new style and some new fad and some new trend and so, because he knows that, th that whatever he brought last time is going to get stale, it's going to get old, and the true sons and daughters of God are going to start to figure it out. So then what does he do? He leaves that sitting there and he brings something new. To, to some new shiny toy to try to get our attention, to pull us over in this direction. And it will seem right because it will be partially right. But let me tell you something. Things that are partially right are really, in my opinion, more dangerous than things that are totally wrong. Because things that are totally wrong are very easy to see. It's very easy to recognize, hey, I'm not fooling with that. That's totally wrong. But things that seem right, they're partially right, and they catch our attention because of what is partly right, that's dangerous. So here come the Romans, and it's a new strategy. They conquer by might, by power, by force, militarily, they're in charge. Nobody misunderstands that when the Romans arrive. But the Romans don't care if you become Roman. Oh, you little Jews over here, do your thing. We don't care about that. As long as you do it quietly, as long as you don't start stirring up any beehives, as long as you don't, we don't start hearing any rumblings that you're organizing some sort of military retaliation, you're fine. Go to your church, build your temple, build your synagogues, get together, worship whoever it is you want to worship. We don't care. Options. Because now you have the Romans when Jesus arrives, but you also still have Greeks hanging around. That, that's who we talked about from John chapter 12. That some Greeks showed up and said, we'd like to have a conversation with Jesus. And they said that to Philip. And Philip goes to Andrew and says, hey, we got these Greeks over here want to talk to Jesus. What do you think? Well, let's go tell him. So they go tell him, and I, I just crack up every time I see Jesus' response. It is, um, time's up for that. I got no time for that. I know about that. 
No. Tell them, forget about it. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I, I'm not sitting over here arguing with a bunch of self-serving people who want to evangelize those who could potentially follow me into their way of life. I don't have time for it. That's a good lesson for all of us. Don't, don't waste your time with people who want to espouse nonsense. I'll, you know what? Serve the one true God. Call out to the one true God. Position yourself to follow Jesus Christ in strict obedience every day. And love people and have conversations with people when the time is right, when the Father sets the table for you to be able to sit down across from somebody and have a real in-depth kingdom conversation, do it. But by all means, don't waste your time out here having theological arguments and debates with people who are trying to promote their own lifestyle. So in Jesus' day, you got Romans, you still got Greeks here. I'm sure you still had a Persian influence. And then you've got the church. Listen, Jesus didn't reject the church. Jesus went to church. He taught in the church. He listened in the church. He worshiped in the church. We don't need to just forsake the church and run off as loose cannons somewhere. We need to be part of the church. We need to support the church. We need to gain knowledge and we need to gain experience through the ministries of the church. We need to be part of a vehicle that is blessing the poor according to the commands of Jesus Christ. That's the church. But inside the church, you had all these options. So you had this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were formed in retaliation to the Greeks. Because the Greeks had said, it's all about you. And the Pharisees began to say, no, it's all about him. One God, one true God, not multiple gods, not a, a meism kind of a lifestyle. No humanism here, it's all about God. And so they separated themselves out and they formed their own little, little clique inside the church. And they knew the scriptures up one side and down the other one. But they began to build this very ugly, very complex structure around the words of God and they turned it into a, a formidable and obtrusive religious system. And then you had the Sadducees who went over here and started their own thing because they didn't agree entirely with everything the Pharisees were doing and saying. And then you had people who rejected both of those and said, you know what? We're here to overthrow the Romans and to take back our own country. The Maccabees is one example of that. They gathered an army together. They're causing, they're causing a stir. They're trying to raise, up, raise themselves up and gain enough military power to be able to fight the Romans. And then you had the Essenes. They, they were this group of people that decided that they could not live inside regular culture and have the relationship with their God that they needed to have. And so they moved out into an area called Qumran where there were a lot of caves. And it was near the Dead Sea. And it was desolate and there were lots of hiding places and it didn't grow into large numbers, but a couple of hundred of them lived out there as nomads in the caves. 
This is where those of you who know anything about religious history or church history know that in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found inside those caves. These are very, very powerful and important documents to the Christian faith. The, the scrolls that have become part of the foundation of the modern church because they are the words of God. They are the writings of people who were there and knew what was going on. This is where the Essenes live. Well, what's the point? The point is, I guess if I decided I wanted to be a person of faith, I wanted to try to get into the heart of God, that I could decide that I want to do that by becoming a Greek. I could see if that would get me there, or, or I could decide I wanted to take on the Roman way of life. And I wanted to worship many gods, and I wanted to see what those gods could do for me. Or I could stay inside the church that's connected with Jehovah, the one true God. But inside that church, I've got options. Let me see, do I want to be a Pharisee? Do I want to make sure I dress a certain way and talk a certain way and, and give a certain way and attend a church a certain way and sing a certain way and read the scriptures a certain way? And if not, I'm rejected. Or do I want to be a Sadducee? Do I, do I want to tie up my whole business in arguments, theological arguments about the resurrection? Do I want to see how often I can be right? Do I want to be a Maccabee? Do I want to take up my sword every morning and walk out of my door looking for somebody whose head I can lop off? Do I want to be part of the militant crowd that's always screaming about warfare? Maybe I want to be an Essene, build a big stone wall around my house out in Pike County. And nobody can get in, nobody can get out unless I say so. And live in isolation and build myself a little altar in the backyard where I can go out and worship. And I can read my scrolls and then I can tuck them away in a cave if I can find one on my land where nobody else can see them. What do what I want to do? What, which Christian do I want to be? How do I want to get to God? Well, to the verses we read before, Jesus has been on earth for about 33 and a half years and he's been crucified, been executed for the work that he was doing. But he has risen from the dead. He told people along the way some very, very important things. He told people, I am the bread of life. In other words, I am spiritual food. If you do not have me, you die spiritually. If you do not consume me spiritually, you die. If you do not perpetually take who I am into who you are, you die. I am the bread of life. He said, I am the vine. What does that mean? It, it means I am the connection that goes from you to the Father. I am the lifeline. If you expect to make your way truly into the Father in a pure 
and righteous relationship with him, you're going to have to be connected to me. He declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, and said without mixing up any language, without any confusion attached to it, no one can get to the Father unless they come through me. But just because he said it didn't mean everybody had to believe it. As a matter of fact, most people didn't believe it. Big crowds came out as long as he was working miracles, as long as he was giving energizing, fantastic speeches, as long as he was raising dead people, as long as he was speaking to violent storms and telling them to sit down and be quiet. The big crowds came out. But when things turned and he started to be accused, the crowd started to fall off. When he was taken to trial, the crowds fell off even more until when he's hanging on the cross, there's only a couple of people out there supporting him. And then he's in the grave and everybody's running for fear that they're going to have the same result take place for them. And so they hide in rooms and they're trying to sort out and talk about all these things that they've experienced and all the different things that he said. And all of a sudden one day he shows up in the room. And then they know he's alive. The things he said were true. Because nobody else that we've ever listened to, nobody else whose works we've ever read has gotten up out of the grave and shown up again and started talking the same language to us again and started pointing the way to the Father again. But there's one named Thomas who's not there. And so when they tell Thomas about it, he doesn't believe. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you saw me and you believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. My Lord and my God. And when I read that this week, I thought, and I didn't think it instantaneously, it kind of came to me in phases. Perhaps this prayer by Thomas, this five-word prayer, is the key to our focus. Perhaps this five-word prayer clears up the fog. Perhaps it helps us to eliminate all the options. 
Maybe if we adopted this five-word prayer as a daily mantra, a daily motto, maybe it would be the tool that would keep us focused. Maybe it would be at least a tool, if not the tool, that would keep fresh in the forefront of our thinking what the key is and who the key is for us to get into the heart of God. Listen, I, I don't know what your <clears throat> perception has ever been about what the purpose of being a Christian is. Because I think that some people see the purpose of being a Christian is to get to heaven. And I think that some people see the purpose of being a Christian is to avoid whatever evil there is out there because we're terrified of that evil. We want to be on the good side, in other words. Or the purpose of being a Christian is to maintain a clean, truthful, wholesome lifestyle while we're living on this earth. We could go through a lot of possibilities and maybe it's a combination of those things. I don't know. But I can tell you what the number one truest purpose for being a Christian should be for all of us. And that is to get into the heart of the Father. To move into our space in the Father's heart. You see, heaven will be there as our reward if we live our lives here on earth embedded in the heart of the Father. We will be protected from the traps, the schemes of the evil one on this earth if we live our lives embedded in the heart of the Father. We will live lives that are clean and pure and righteous and wholesome if we embed ourselves in the heart of the Father. In other words, all these things are byproducts of life in our space in the heart of the Father. I just, I, I can't deal with the idea of struggling and striving and fighting just to try to get to heaven. I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's God's plan. And I don't think it's what we ought to be focused on. I got in trouble in this church in 1990 for saying something to the youth group like, you don't need to be worried about getting to heaven. You don't need to be living your life with your head up, looking up in the clouds all the time, begging the Lord to come back and focused on getting to heaven. I was called in on the royal red pastor's carpet with two or three councilmen with him and raked over the coals about why I told these kids it was not important to go to heaven. I said, well, first of all, it's not what I said. Secondly, you need to know about the follow-up to those statements instead of just listening to the reports of the one who was listening waiting for me to say something wrong and came running to you. 
The follow-up was, yes, heaven's going to be awesome. Yes, heaven is our reward. Yes, heaven is going to be glorious. But we don't live our lives here, staring up at the clouds, waiting on heaven, begging for heaven. We have things to do here. We live our lives here, seeking out the heart of God, moving into our place in the heart of God, living our lives with eyes wide open, ears wide open, minds and hearts wide open, watching for opportunities to be obedient to his words, to feed the hungry and take care of the poor and clothe the naked and give the thirsty drink and take care of widows and orphans and those whose lives have been beaten up and broken by all the junk that has come their way. And if we do that, and if we dig into his heart every day, we don't have to worry about what's coming in the future. It'll be there for us when we get there. And then we have not only achieved the end result of heaven, but we have accomplished all sorts of kingdom good along the way. Which is better? Just get to heaven, scrapping and scraping and striving and working and struggling. Getting up every morning, our primary prayer is, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Not me. And I'll tell you why. Because if Lord Jesus came right now, there's a whole bunch of people that I care a whole lot about who would not go with him. No, we get up in the mornings, our primary prayer is, Father, speak to me. Show me who you are. Let me move a little bit more into your heart and show me with eyes wide open and ears wide open and heart and mind wide open who it is you want me to bless today as I walk in the kingdom way and move closer into your heart. And I commit myself to absolute and outright obedience to whatever it is that you're saying. Eliminate the options. Clear the fog and get up every morning and say, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Picture him in your mind. Whatever, formulate your own picture. Listen, some people picture Jesus in a white robe with long flowing hair, beard, Some people picture Jesus still on the cross paying the price for us. Some people picture Jesus as he's ascending up into the clouds. I'll tell you how I picture him. You think I'm weird if you want to. I picture myself when I say, my Lord and my God, just opening a door and walking into a room and sitting over there on that side of the room in in a plain chair is a man and he's got on khaki pants and he's got on a green like a fisherman's shirt right and he's sitting there and he does have a little scruff of beard but not the big beard just needs to shave if he wants to if he don't want to he don't need to whatever and he's got curly sort of curly hair but it's not way you know it's just kind of nice And he's not black and he's not white and he's not particularly Asian. He's not particularly Middle Eastern, not particularly Hispanic. He's just kind of an average guy, you know, nice tan, but nice looking guy. Hey, that's the way I picture him because I need to picture him some way. 
And guess what? If I'm totally wrong about what he looks like, I just don't think God's going to send me to hell for it. Because I think God loves it when we try to picture who he is. And when we let our spiritual imaginations run wild with the truth of who he is and how he wants to move us into his heart. My Lord and my God. It's the five-word prayer that can change your life. That's up to you. I'm done. Thank y'all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening.